I, I think that's really it. I mean, it's it, the key to success is there's a few things I always tell people. It's, it's all about the D, right? Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams. All right, guys, we got Brandon Rockstar Rooks here. He's a husband and, if I say so myself, an amazing father. He served in the U.S. Navy. He's uh, grown his own business, and now he helps grow empires for investors. He's built a reputation for extreme accountability and attention to detail. Today, Brandon has multiple investment funds, and he's been able to simplify and reduce risk for investors. And I believe we're going to learn a few major things from from Brandon today on the podcast that will help us become better leaders. Uh, The first one, which Brandon is great at, which is building relationships. Uh, The second one is how to teach your the people on your team to invest and then the third one is going to be action over preparation so brandon I'll, I'll i'll kick it off with basically how we met right and uh i guess the first time that we we met i don't think we actually like shook hands or anything but uh jeff had invited you to one of the pre apex dinners and uh you know jeff goes through his whole spiel i've been to like 10 of them already and uh, he, he always talks about um, the people that he invests with, you know, and he always talks about, you know, betting on the jockey instead of the horse, right? And he's talking about this guy, you know what I mean? He's, and he's talking him up like crazy, you know, that every time a deal goes south, you know, he comes in and not necessarily saves the day, but does what's right, you know, and maintains integrity in, in managing his investments. And, uh, and then he tells us about Rockstar Capital and about Brandon Brooks, and they call him Rockstar, you know what I mean? And so I guess that was the first time that we were in the same room, right? We didn't get, actually get to have a conversation. It wasn't right. until uh, I think one of your friends was selling a watch portfolio that we actually had an exchange, you know what I mean? And so... Uh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, been, it's been interesting for me, you know, uh, right around that time I had just gotten into investing in general. And uh, y'all had a, a an amazing watch portfolio put together. One of your friends that you were uh, helping them helping them get rid of. It was like it was like seventy or eighty thousand dollars in watches that he was offloading for like forty. And, I, and yeah. I was like, that sounds great. Let me jump on this. And then they stayed in my storage unit for like three months. <laughs> <laughs> and a couple on your wrist. I saw yeah. you wearing a few of them. <laughs> oh yeah, I've got I've got one right now. I've got the. I, you know, I've I've grown the tag Batman. Yeah, <laughs> I've got the tag Batman on my wrist right now. The one that you traded me for a couple of other watches. But the the whole thing with that deal was one, uh, you were incredibly detailed. You had everything laid out in a in a spreadsheet, ready to roll. You had the uh, the the price that I was paying for the watches, and then the retail price. So you were showing me basically wh- where my margin was and what I had, you know, my potential basically, and then. And then, you know, everything happened just like you said it would. And so that was, you know, that was my first impression of you. It was following through with what you said you were going to do. And since then, I mean, you've sent me potential clients for those watches. Um, You know, we've done some investing together as well as um, you've bought some of the watches 
not necessarily back, but you're like, you saw the whole portfolio and you, you bought a few yeah. originally and you're like, man, you still had your eye on those later on. And you just bought another one yesterday, that Indian. I did. I did. Yeah. yeah I like the, I like the watches with the steel wristbands, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I had a watch case, like 12 unit watch case hanging uh-huh. in my bathroom and I had a few empty spots and I'm like, oh, I can't have this. I don't feel complete. My OCD kicked in. I'm like, oh, okay, I got a few spots. I got to fill up. No, I'm going back to Doug for one or two more watches. And I was going to look at some more, but I just, I work 14 hour days and my yeah. phone and my email and my text and messages just go off nonstop. And, uh, but that's my sometimes I just don't get to have a lot of free time is, is you wouldn't know it though. Because it's like it's like nine o'clock at night, and I decide now is the time I'm going to email Brandon, and then I get an email back like five minutes later. I'm like, how does this guy do this? Like he's still working, <laughs> he's still running and gunning. All right, so let's let's kind of uh, go into the past here, where it all started. Tell me a little bit about your childhood, how you grew up, and kind of how you got into the Navy. Yeah, you know it. We have a lot of people like this in the Apex group, and I, and I love hearing these stories, but I, I literally, you know, I come from nothing. I had two very hardworking blue-collar parents. My mom was a waitress or, or a house cleaner most of her life. My dad was in construction most of his life. Uh, I went through multiple divorces. Um, mm-hmm. Mom remarried two times. My dad remarried five times. The last time I told him, I'm like, I don't think you and marriage work. You should probably stop doing this. But uh, he did it anyway. And um, <laughs> yeah. and ended up moving us all over the country. And, you know, I think that was really what was good for my career. Um, I hardly ever spent more than one year in a school. Mm-hmm. And I, I went to all different parts of the country, like uh, Oklahoma and Texas and Arizona and New Mexico and North Carolina and Florida and uh, Iowa and Kansas. And you, there's just different demographics and different types of people in all those areas. And I had to learn how to make friends um, over and over and over and over again. And I think that's what really helped for part of the uh, the relationship building. And, you know, I, I, we never had much money. If I wanted anything at all, other than the clothes my mom made, um, or if I wanted treats, you know, or candy, I basically mm-hmm. had to go to work for it. So, you know, I started shoveling driveways, mowing lawns, picking up sticks. I, I started a lemonade stand, but I also sold cookies and comic books at the same time. I wasn't just going to do lemonade, you right. know. Um, I'd pick up those catalogs and sell door to door so I could earn points and things for uh, this is starting at like nine years old, right? Yeah. I go around the neighborhood and knock doors. And it was back when the time when you could do that and it wasn't. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, I can't imagine sending my kids to to go knock doors right now. I'd have to send them with a can of pepper spray or something. <laughs> <laughs> and a, yeah, and a stun gun. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I fell in love with, um, if I wanted something, I had to work for it. And I, I'm fine with that. And what I learned from my parents, even though there was divorces, mm-hmm. my parents always loved us. We may have been dirt poor. I mean, I tell the story about, I remember one time living in Lawson, Missouri, when my mom told us, she goes, you guys can only use four squares of toilet paper to wipe your butt. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Four squares? That just meant I was probably washing my hands vigorously after every, you know, trip to the bathroom, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, I buy Charmin Ultra Strong now and I use whole handfuls. 
That, that's the one thing I go through a lot in this house is, yeah. is toilet paper. You're never going to have that problem again. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, we uh, we would go out and pick berries, and we would go out and hunt mushrooms. We'd go out to the creek and hunt crawdads um, so that we could have jam and jelly and pies and something different. Yeah. You know, there would be weeks on end where I swear we ate every type of soup imaginable to man, you know. And it was funny because I, I kind of blocked a lot of the bad stuff out as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I always focused on the positives. Okay. And so I'm one of those guys that people will come back and tell me about some of the things in my past. And I'm like, I just don't remember that, you yeah. know, because it was a struggle and I'm just, I just blocked it out. I, I got really good at compartmentalizing and moving negative, you know, negativity or negative things out of my head mm-hmm. and just focus on what's positive. So grew up poor, uh, actually went a full 12 years of school, ended up with a GED because three weeks before I was ready to graduate and I'd already signed up in the Navy, the counselor said, well, you're a half credit short in fine arts. And I'm like, what, what the hell is that? She goes, yeah. you need like an art class or music class. And I'm like, well, I'm joining up in the Navy. I'm supposed to go into the military. And, uh, and then I called my recruiter. He goes, well, you got to have at least a GED because they didn't offer it as a summer class. So he goes, can you go down and take your GED? And I went down and took the test. I missed three questions on the whole test. And they're mm-hmm. like, why do you not have a diploma? Yeah. And uh, I said, well, funny story. All these moves, you know, tra- credits didn't transfer. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I get a GED and I go, and when I took the Navy test, I also missed three questions on the ASVAB. And like, what do you want? You want nuclear? Do you want advanced electronics? Do you actually, you want to go into officer? And I'm like, no, I don't want to be an officer. I just want to, you know, get into my six years. I did six years. I did choose the advanced electronic warfare mm-hmm. uh, thing. Had a top secret clearance. I ran the anti-ship missile defense system. So I was a guy that sat back in the war room and determined what the threat was and how to defend against it and then make recommendations to the captain, which we got into a couple of skirmishes. We did mm-hmm. three tours in the per- Persian Gulf, uh, ran escorts for oil tankers. And then, of course, I was there during Desert Storm. And so I am technically a combat Navy veteran, even though they didn't have a chance of blowing our ship up because that was a badass ship. So, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, yeah, you know, I I have 143 IQ. It wasn't about um, these AirPods do not like to stay in my ear. (laughs) Same with me. Um, They don't, they don't work for me either. (laughs) That's why I like my other ones. Jeff will argue with us, obviously. It's yeah. Apple and iPhone all the way, right? But I'm yeah. like, my Samsung works better. And my Samsung earbuds don't fall out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so anyway, you know, it, it's such a long story. But there was a book that I read towards the end of my Navy career. And it was, I have so many amazing friends in Apex. So many people write books. Mm-hmm. And so, you were talking a little bit about preparation versus, you know, mm-hmm. uh, action. I see all these people read all these books, but then they never act. Right. And there's two books that I've read in my life. One was Tony Robbins, Awaken the Giant Within. Mm-hmm. And I read that while I was in the Navy. And that's what really, along with my upbringing, upbringing, you know, the hard work that I saw my parents do, we never took a dime from the government. They always told us that they loved us. And even though it was a struggle, we were a family. And, you know, and then I read this book and it kind of set the tone for what I needed to do to accomplish success in my life. Mm-hmm. And it just stuck with me. And I, I put that into action. And then I also read um, uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon yeah. Hill. Almost everybody has in our network, right? Yeah. 
And that told me, okay, how am I going to build an empire and, you know, invest smartly? So I, I'm one of those guys I have, there's a whole bunch of books over here on my shelf. Um, many of the apex people mm-hmm. books that are in there and uh, I'll probably when I semi-retire, I'll get a chance to read them, but I have. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I have uh, a whole library of books as well that I, (laughs) I haven't gotten to yet. And luckily most of our, our apex, uh, FOC, they, they write short books. So (laughs) when I, when I do read them, it's usually read them on a flight home or a flight. Yeah. Flight out and flight home. Yeah. Um, but I'm always just trying to get caught up on work, which is fine. So, it's been all about action. I've, I've never made excuses. Mm-hmm. I've never felt like there was nothing I could not accomplish. And that's not to say I didn't have a lot of failures. And that's not to say that, you know, it wasn't a challenge at times and mm-hmm. I wasn't putting in 14, 16, 18 hours. But, you know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Right. And then you'd have too much competition and you wouldn't have the opportunity for success that we do. You know, mm-hmm. as bad as this country is getting, we won't talk about politics, but it's just not the same country it was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Right. But it's still one of the greatest countries in the world. And it's one of the greatest countries where you can make anything you want out of your life and you can achieve anything you want. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling everybody now, man, it's it's got to be done with integrity and ethics if you want your life to be more enjoyable and long lasting. And that's really the key. So there's a few, a few things that um, I take out of that. And this, this happens all too often when we get together in a room and start talking. Right. And it's uh, you know, the similarities in the, in the childhood is, is crazy. It's not the exact same childhood. Right. But you know, your ability to compartmentalize the bad stuff and focus on the good stuff and how close your family was, you know, uh, I, I, was very similar growing up and I'm sure a lot of other entrepreneurs are to where we're able to kind of tune out the bad stuff. And it's not even necessarily all the bad stuff. It's the uncontrollables because the controllables you took control of, right. You you know, being able to go out and pick berries and have something different, have a nice dessert or uh, mowing lawns or shoveling snow, whatever the case was, those were things you could, could control. If you wanted something, you can control getting it right. But when you were younger, you couldn't, couldn't necessarily control, you know, the income that your family made. Right. And so that was probably exactly. some of the stuff that you compartmentalized. I did the same thing with my family. My family was less close, less family oriented, you know, uh, the relationships weren't as good. Right. So I kind of blocked that stuff out and, uh, same thing. It makes you, uh, when you go that low, whether it be, you know, economic or whether it be emotionally, when you go that low, you know, when you face challenges later on in life, they, they become easier to face because you're not, you're, you're used to being low anyway. So it's like, I can only go yeah. up from here. Like you can't really exactly. hurt me because I went through all this shit when I was younger. And so, you know, even if I go and do this thing and it fails, you know, or it fails, right. I can just keep trying and eventually I'll get it. You know what I mean? Because I'm not afraid of that failure because I started from a place of failure. You know what I mean? Whether it was me with my relationships or you with your uh, economic situation with your family, right? And so um, that's probably some of the biggest things I took from that. And then, like you said, you know, you can read all these books and everything, but without the action, it doesn't doesn't really mean anything, right? So where did... Book smart, cash poor. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's a lot of uh, college professors like that, right? (laughs) Yeah. 
So where did where did Rockstar come from? I've heard this story before, but I, I want to make sure our listeners get this story because it's a lot of fun for sure. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I've always been the top salesperson wherever I was. You know, I came out of the Navy. I went into selling cars during the day. I sold MCI long distance at night. And I started a mobile disc jockey company with my Navy buddy that when I got out of the Navy, I went and moved into the town he lived in, Greeley, Colorado, a little bit mm-hmm. north of Denver. <clears throat> so, I, I mean, I've always been working multiple things. And then I got, you know, headhunted over into the um, water, in-home water treatment sales industry. And then I got headhunted into the mortgage industry. And while I was in the mortgage industry in Kansas City, I was always the top performer. Um, which is kind of funny, you know, a lot of people talk about all these sales funnels and click funnels and marketing and advertising and bringing in customers. But I sent out letters to the people I sold cars to. Mm-hmm. I sent out letters to the people I sold water treatment systems to, because I kept track of everybody's names and what I did have from MCI. And when I went into the mortgage industry and I also owned a small tanning salon that I bought for my wife to run, I uh, sent out letters to all those people and I never made a cold call after that. So my last cold call was in 1999. And every bit of my business since then has been from existing clients and referrals from clients. Um, wow. But anyway, I was number one guy at the mortgage company and every quarter, the owner loved Vegas. <clears throat> I'm not a fan of Vegas myself, but he loved Vegas and he would take like the top two, three, four guys to Vegas. Mm-hmm. So on one of the trips that we went, we ended up all going around and we ended up in a dueling piano bar and <clears throat> So we were there and I went up to the piano guy and I'm like, Hey, can you play some guns and roses? He goes, hell yeah. You know, what do you want to hear? And I said, like sweet child of mine and welcome to the jungle. And he says, sure. I said, is it okay if I come up and sing? He goes, can you? I said, I do. All right. You know? <clears throat> so anyway, about an hour and a half later, we're all standing around the bar and drinking and the piano guy says, Hey, uh, we need Brandon Rooks to come up to the uh, uh, piano. I start walking that way. And the guys are looking at me like the f- is Rooks do it, you know? (laughs) So I get up there and he starts playing Sweet Child of Mine. I grab the mic, I jump out in front of the piano and I start singing and get it. Keep in mind, nobody had been dancing that night. There's a spot for dancing, but nobody had been doing it. Everybody just been drinking and enjoying the music. And I start laying into the song and I can hit all the notes and I sound like Axel. I'm not sure if you've heard me sing yet or not. Yeah, uh, Cabo. Anyway, I, I lay in everybody, the whole room just goes quiet and they all start staring at me. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, all the girls start getting up and start dancing. I get done with the song and I get a standing ovation. And the, I go back to the, give the microphone to the piano guy. And he's like, oh, can, you, can you do another song? And I'm like, sure. And he says, so we did Welcome to the Jungle. I did that song and I'm like, okay, we're good. <laughs> and I, I mean, the whole room is just like, holy hell. I go walking back towards my buddies. And as I'm walking up there, they're like, the fuck? Their mouths are all hanging on the yeah. floor. Like, Brooks, is there anything you can't fucking do? You're a goddamn rock star. And it stuck. And everybody started calling me rock star after that. And uh, so, yeah, number one sales guy. I can sing. Like, uh, and, uh, oh, I also drink because I don't have Argenta Energy sugar-free in my <laughs> office. <laughs> I've been drinking Rockstar Sugar Free for ever since they came out. You know, you're gonna have so to. Wait. I don't like coffee. That's my drink. You're gonna have to wait <laughs> till I get through my twenty grand in inventory that I have left. You know, what I mean, before I can order more. <laughs> but no, well, I mean, all my family, 
all my family loves your drinks, um, awesome. which is funny because there's most of these drinks suck. They're just too sweet. Right. The taste is just over the top. And yours, even the ones with the sugar in them, mm-hmm. were really good, really clean and refreshing. Uh, refreshing. I really like those. So I'm happy to, to buy a few more cases off you and have them here for the house for all the family that comes in. I so think we won't drink my sugar-free rock stars. <laughs> I think we have uh, a few more cases on the way. Oh, I need to double check with Ryan. You know, you know, <laughs> Ryan, how he's been lately. I've heard that name. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I'll, I'll double check with him. But I think we had a, a few cases on the way because you and I talked about it uh, a couple weeks ago. So I was like, yeah, let's send him out a few more cases. Um, <laughs> but no, that's a great story. I love the name, obviously. And you know, now. You know, there is the story where it came from, and then it's the name of your company, but it's also kind of like what you are in the investing world. You know what I mean? When you when you think about some of the stories that you have of, you know, the deals going wrong and you being able to still pull them off and at least break even for your investors or whatever the case was, uh, I, I think that's real important. We can, we can probably talk about that a little bit, but what I do want to point out is what you said about you haven't had to do a cold call since I think you said 1990. Was that it? 1999. 1999. And that's kind of what I wanted to cover here is why do you think that is? What, what is it about the way that you build relationships that, that creates that ability to basically meet someone, build that relationship and do business with them and then continue to, to do so for now, what is 25 years close to 25 years now it's about going above and beyond to your customer making them feel like they're number one getting to know them you know i took lots of notes when i was in those home selling water treatment systems i would you know what were the kids names what did i notice on the walls were they a chiefs fan were they a cowboys fan you know um did were there pictures of you know jesus hanging up uh, did we need to pray about them buying the system you know what kind of cars they had i'd look for similarities and i'd make those mental notes and i was very fortunate it's, I think my brain is just, I need to do a data dump or a clear cache because mm-hmm. it's too full. Yeah. But I used to have really like a photographic memory. If I said it, wrote it, saw it, it stuck and I could refer back to that. So it was easy for me to build those relationships. And, it, and that's really what it's all about is get a customer, go above and beyond. Sure that you answer every call, email, or text in the same day. Mm-hmm. I cannot stress the importance of this. If you're not replying to your client, they'll go find somebody else. People are, are we want immediate satisfaction these days and can't stress it enough. You know, and that's why, like you said, you know, you may text me or send a message at nine o'clock at night and then bam, I reply. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm awake, I'm working. And unfortunately, that's one of the bane of my existence is these damn cell phones. You can't get away from work. You right, know? right. Um, but at the same time, not having to market for new clients, not having to spend all this big money on advertising budget. Now I do a lot of sponsorships mm-hmm. and I am in these networks and clubs as we're growing our business, but you know, that's also just getting around people that I can meet and see and shake hands with and they see me and that's more valuable, valuable to me than this email campaign click funnel where no one actually gets to shake your hand, see you and learn who you are. Right. So when you have the opportunity to gain clients, go above and beyond, mm-hmm. never let them down. Make sure that your service is better, as good or better than whatever is out there and make sure that your price is as good or better than theirs. 
if you've got the same product and you try to charge way more money and you're saying it's all about the customer service, Mm -hmm. but then you don't deliver, your career is short lived. You know, the reason I haven't had to make a cold call is because I deliver and make sure that every client, if I'm working with them, they're getting the best possible service. And usually the way I operate, because I do it in volume and I don't have to spend a ton of money and I don't have a large, you know, team that works for me. It's, you know, me and my family, it's my son now works for us, Mm -hmm. which is my rap star. Yeah. Kez, by the way, K-E-Z-Z for all of you out there that want to pop some positive hip hop music into your, yes, he's, he's white and yes, he likes hip hop. But, uh, um, I think, I think think we've broken that cliche. Uh, a while back <laughs> now, so you don't, you don't. Macklemore, yeah, he, that's right. Macklemore his, broke that one. <laughs> his, his talent speaks for itself. Uh, I've been listening to, you know, his music is perfect when you're working. It's the perfect kind of like rap that you want to listen to when you're working. You know, working out is maybe like the heavier, harder stuff, but his is very chill. You know, there's there's a lot of poetry in it, which I love, um, and so you can have a lot of epiphanies while you know he's singing and stuff. So it's it's definitely uh, great music. So go check it out and download it on uh, Apple Excellent. or Spotify. Love that. Yeah, and he saw me singing as a, uh, and it, it's what inspired him. He's like, man, my dad does this, you know. Yeah. So, but it's just it's about my life is is better now because I have clients come to me all the time. I have referrals come to me all the time, and there's nothing better than knowing I can go and build a company and the business will keep coming in and it'll keep growing Mm -hmm. because I don't have to spend all the time on the phone and on these email campaigns that I work, you know, 10, 12, 14 hour days, Mm -hmm. but it's answering emails and taking care of problems and and answering texts and calls. And not every day goes as planned. I mean, I've got a task list a mile long and I, 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 I intended to hit it last week. And because of everything that came in, I never had a chance to hit even one item. You know, right. that is what it is. Um, but I, I take care of the priorities and mm-hmm. it's always customer first. So that if you want a longstanding career, deliver exceptional value and service and make sure that you're in line with your price. And if something goes wrong, as you, you know, seen, you've heard Jeff talk about, mm-hmm. you step up. You make it right. That's one of the things I love about Ryan Stubman and his group. I mean, uh-huh. Ryan does what's right. The reason he is where he is today is because he may have had to write a few checks. He may have had to, you know, take care of something. Yeah. And he may have had to have been the bigger guy and just step away and not, you know, get into like drama. And that's <clears throat> sometimes it's just not worth it. A lot of us, when we hit these levels, yeah. we're like, look, I can go to bat and I can get higher attorney and I can go fight this and battle this. And I'm going to spend as much money with my attorney trying to get my money from this customer. Yeah. You know, as I will with the attorneys, like just write it off, write it off as bad debt. You got a little bit of, you know, a uh, discount or a, a write off with your taxes, which right. Barbara Sheehan can talk about. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that's really it. I mean, it's it, the key to success is there's a few things I always tell people. It's, it's mm-hmm. all about the D right. One, you got to have the desire. Mm-hmm. Two, you got to have the drive. Three, you got to have the discipline. And then four and five is determination and dedication. You never quit. It's desire, drive, just discipline, you know, uh, dedication and determination. And if you just stick to your guns and you're going to have bumps along the way, mm-hmm. it'll just teach you how not to make those bumps again. And, oh, I've had failures. Man, in 2008, 
my lesson in real estate, you know, and talking about investing, I have been primarily in the real estate investment game for the last 22 years. Uh-huh. And I've done every time of thing you can imagine. In 2008, I had hedge fund buyers buying $80 million in properties in the Lake of the Ozarks, which is a resort retirement second home destination. A lot of the, the you know, athletes and things like that are there. <clears throat> and all of the stuff was under contract. When when they finished out the projects, they were listing these projects with me, which was going to turn into probably six hundred million dollars. Yeah. You know, I was set. I was like enjoying life, money in the bank, had a forty two foot yacht on the lake, house on the lake, nice cars, motorcycle, all this stuff. And when that real estate market collapsed, those are the type of markets that get hit the hardest. Mm-hmm. Five billion dollars in development came to a screeching halt. Mm-hmm. I lost five and a half million dollars. I had to sell every toy I had. We, you know, we basically went bankrupt in 2008, but mm. none of my clients ever lost a dime, which is important. I had, I had some clients that bought some, um, into a development. They put $7,000 deposits down on these pieces of ground. Right. And I pre-sold like 30% of this development. And when everything collapsed, I went back to every one of those clients. I said, I don't know if it'll be a year, two years, five years, 10 years. I says, but I'm going to make sure that you get back every dot, every dime of that $7,000. And they're like, man, that's not your fault. I'm like, I helped you find this investment. Yeah, It is my fault. It's my responsibility. And, and it took a couple of years and it came from getting back into the game and helping them buy something else. And I forgave my commission or I, you know, mm-hmm. committed my commission to their purchase. Right. You so just made them whole. I made them whole. And that's a part of why those clients are still invested with me today. And where I saved them, you know, I made them their seven grand back. Mm-hmm. Some of those clients are now in the Rockstar Investment Funds with a hundred thousand, two hundred, five hundred thousand dollars right. invested in what we do now. <clears throat> so one thing I learned is don't be all in in one thing. Don't be all in in one area. Don't be all in in one type of investment. Yeah. Because that's where you're going to have, you know, the issues. You want to be diversified. And and we've heard that for life. Right. You know, always diversified. Well, now sometimes we gotta learn people it. say, yeah. We got to learn it the hard way like you did. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you know what? I had to, luckily none of my clients lost any money. And what right. it taught me and what and how it works now is that Rockstar Capital Funds invest with primarily three companies. VRD Land and Investment. This is one of my general partners. He's in the land entitlement business. Mm-hmm. That means we go out and we grab ground. We preview it to our national builders in multiple markets that we're in. And we do not move forward on buying that ground and going through all the sh- uh, permitting process and engineering to get it shovel ready and permitted until we know we have a national builder that says, yes, we want that piece of ground, mm-hmm. right? So then we put it under contract and we make sure that it can be permitted. If it cannot be permitted, we can back, we can cancel the contract and we might be out 20, 30, 50,000, maybe a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, but it'll never affect anybody in the funds, in the rockstar funds. Right. But the long and the short is we take ground, no infrastructure, no building. We just get it shovel ready and permitted and sell it off to the national builders. And my God, the profit margins are amazing Mm -hmm. in that, which is why we pay so high in the rockstar funds. When you you invest in a rockstar capital fund, you get to be the bank with me. We're the bank. We fund BRD land and investment. Mm -hmm. We also fund Bowler River Developments and Estero Developments, which is the build for rent division of our trio of companies and we only fund the lots so we're in and out at dirt Mm -hmm. you know which is 
you cannot build anything without having the land or the dirt first. So we're perfectly positioned to have what every builder in any market we're in needs in order to move forward. And it's pretty crazy how this has grown. You know, it's, it's, it's really about to explode. And uh, I think we closed on maybe 3,500 to 4,000 lots last year on the bill on the land division side. Mm-hmm. And, and I think they finished somewhere around 300, 350 houses on the bill for rent division side. Yeah. That'll probably be uh, 500 to 550 this year. And on the land side, um, I think it's going to be closer to seven or 8,000 lots, but we're already at a position where we should have 20,000 permitted lots that are going to be ready to sell and move off to our builders by the end of this year. And when I tell, when people hear that you got, you got 20,000 permittable lots, we're like, yeah, we will. And we're on target to double and triple that. Lindsay has basically, when we first started out, the goal was do 10,000 permitted lots a year. Mm -hmm. And that was going to be a very healthy income. And then he's like, well, no, I think we can do 30,000. And now we're scaling and we're doing these things. He's like, well, I think we're probably going to be closer to 50,000 lots a year. And I'm like, (laughs) Okay, I said, so how much money I got to raise? He says, just keep raising money. He goes, yeah. you know, for these funds because we're growing. And now the other day I had a conversation with him. He goes, it's probably going to be closer to 100,000 lots a year. I'm like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> you know, but it's it's scalable, right? Yeah. So we hire some of the best land asset managers in the country, in the markets that we're in. Guys that have been doing this for 25, 30 years, we hire them and we 10X their income. We basically steal them away right. from where they've been. And where they haven't been getting paid well for what they do. And you've seen this. Mm-hmm. This is the guys that they know how to do the work. They're the reason the work happens. Right. And their company takes advantage of them and pays them very little for, for their actual work. So we go in and say, look, you do the same thing you've always done. Now we'll give you $1,000 for every permitted lot you bring to us. Where they might have, most of these guys bring 1,000, 2,000 lots a year mm-hmm. to their entities. Yeah. And they're making $250,000, $300,000 a year. So now we're talking about when well, you get a thousand a lot, bring a thousand lots, you made a million. You know, that's wow. 3X income. Bring 2,000 wow. lots, you're going to make 2 million. And they're like, holy crap. So we're getting some really top notch people. And it's brilliant what Lindsay has done. You know, Mr. Lindsay Jarvis is my partner out of mm-hmm. New Zealand. Kevin Burrell is my partner out of the Charlotte, North Carolina market. Uh-huh. And these guys are workhorses. And we all, it, just like you and I, we have a lot of similarities. We just right. immediately click. That's what happened when I met these guys. And I, I, I got away from all the other affiliations and renovators that I raised capital for. And by the way, a lot of people don't know this, but in 2015, I personally sold 954 properties across the country mm-hmm. to my network of, you know, investors and buyers. Uh-huh. And uh, I was talking to Brandon Brittenham about this, you know, also with Apex. Yeah. I said, yeah, I said, I think I was like probably like the number three sales guy in the country, but I never reported all of our stuff to the National Association of Realtors. And he goes, oh, no, you were number one. He goes, you sold 954 doors? I'm like, yeah, I said, but they're like $125,000, $150,000 average. He goes, so you didn't have the volume like when someone sells a $30 million property right. in you know, California or New York. Right. But he goes, he goes, Rockstar, you were the number one unit salesperson in America. And mm-hmm. I'm like, hmm, that's pretty cool. So uh, it's just all about, you know, I have a, a room full of, tra- you can see some of the plaques yeah. back here and I got all these trophies and, uh-huh. you know, 
it's never been about the money for me. It's been about the customer service and knowing that if I took care of my clients, I would never have to worry about the money. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people get caught up and lost in that. They're like always tracking their dollar, always writing it down. I got to make this much for this much. And problem is when you're working with clients, that starts to come through and they see that mm -hmm. when sales guys are having a rough week, a rough month, you know, a, a rough year or whatever, they're having a hard time at it. It's because there's a little bit of that psyche going on and your customer feels it and you'll start to be a little bit more high pressure. Yeah. I've never, I, I tell people all the time, I says, I'd love to have you as a customer, but if not, I hope you have, you know, yeah. the best life possible. Right. You know, I, I want people want to invest with us, want to do business with me because mm -hmm. they like me and they like my company and they like what we can do for them. And it's a, it's a if natural you have to try really hard. It's just not, it's just yeah. not worth it. It's a natural indifference, which is a, a utilizable sales skill. You know, we talk about, uh, in, in my business, we talk about the impulse factors. And, it, and it's kind of funny because one of the impulse factors is indifference. Hey, no big deal. If you're going to sign up today, great. If not, I got to get over to your neighbor's house and get them signed up. You know what I'm saying? So it's like yeah. no big deal type of indifference deal. And that, that that's more of a natural indifference, though. You know, it's like... I want good relationships with my customers. So I, I don't want you to feel this pressure to do business with me. If you want to do business with me, great. If not, then uh, we'll, we'll have a relationship moving forward that's non-business, right? Uh, one thing I want to point out is what you talked about. Um, so I, I think what, uh, where a lot of people miss the mark it, is, like you said, the, the customer service or the customer experience should be first in everything that you do. And then right behind that, and I mean like microscopically behind that should be the sales rep experience because they affect the customer experience so much. And so what I can have more impact on every day is the sales rep experience. So that's what I spend time on. My operations team is responsible for the customer experience. And so going to the, to the customer experience, if they have a really good experience, they're going to send you referrals and business is going to come easier like you've been talking about this whole time. And then on, on the sales rep side their experience is important the fluidity of the deal processing it the fulfillment all that stuff and you know like for instance for example we're having that that install bottleneck right now it's creating cash flow issues we're not able to do as much for our guys and um and then and then their deals are taking longer to get paid out you know and so we're having to kind of pay them bases and and advance commissions and all that so it, it, it's, it's creating this nightmare and it's forcing us to adapt. But in, in that adaption, we're not sitting here looking at the margins and figuring out, okay, you know, how do we get to profit? Everything that we're doing is, is with the customer experience in mind and the sales rep experience in mind. And so we're trying to create an amazing customer experience and whatever that costs, that's what it costs, you know? Yeah. And then we're trying to create an amazing sales rep experience and whatever that costs, that's what it costs. And if we can make five, 10 net, great. But the real net is going to come from scale. So if we start from a place yeah. of customer experience, sales rep experience, and we don't make any money, fine. We'll make it when we scale because we're going to scale. Like you said, if you put the customer first, you're going to get the referrals and, and you're going to be able to, to raise money like you are right now. And so the, the second piece of that is, is when you were talking about these land deals, right? And especially with my guys, my sales teams, they, 
they don't even think about stuff like this. It's not even on their radar because what's on their radar? Crypto, flipping a house. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Basically, a forex. <clears throat> you know, all these things <clears throat> that they have to be knowledgeable about to execute on, or you know that they can easily be trapped into this shiny object syndrome and want to jump into it because oh, I'm going to double my money in a year. You know, yeah. and that's not from what I've seen and being around guys like you and uh, guys in our groups and stuff like that, they didn't attain this wealth from doubling their money every year. They attained it from investments like you're talking about that paid out anywhere from eight to 12% a year, you know, and, and over and over and over again. I was uh, reading one of Ryan's posts the other day and he was talking about um, once you get to the certain point, your investments start three Xing. But he, he yeah. was only making 8 to 12% on his stocks at first. But now he's reinvested. Like, as long as you're not pulling the money, right, you can start tripling your money because you're, you're playing on profits. It's compound interest. It's, it's all these different avenues that you're using, but you're just putting the money right back in, you know? Yeah. And so uh, I guess what Consistency advice, is key. Yeah. And yeah. then that's the thing he says, too, is I'm, I'm not just investing the money that I've profited. I'm also continuing to invest the 10% that I agreed to myself that I would invest of my income, my actual income. Right. And so, yeah, that's incredibly important. Um, one of the videos I always show my guys, and then we also have a worksheet for it is the 21 rules of money that, uh, Stuman came out with. And, um, and it's because I want that cause they do when they come to the company, they make a few sales, they realize, Oh crap, I'm trending to a hundred grand a year. And that's kind of the mark at which, People start thinking like, because of everything that's on social media and the information that's out there, hey, I need to start investing this or I need to make my money work for me, right? And these, these little taglines and these, these schools of thought often lead to bullshit. You know what I'm saying? It's, they start out, hey, make your money work for you and get into Forex or automation or something like, you know what I mean? We know all the things that, yes, they work on some level, but then people take advantage of the keywords in them and, and screw people out of money. Right. And so yeah. if I'm a new salesperson and I see myself trending to a hundred grand, what advice do you have for me? You know, it, it's okay to go after some of those shiny objects and those things that can have, mm-hmm. you know, a, a great potential return. But as most people are seeing, you know, you've, you've invested in crypto and who mm-hmm. knows when you invested, you invest at the right time, the wrong time. Have you seen ups? Have you seen downs? But there's nothing more defeating than knowing that you invested something and you start seeing a loss, right? And that's okay if you have something over here that offsets it so that you're you're keeping your balance. Mm-hmm. And so it's okay. And, and early on when you're younger, when you're starting out, it's okay to be a little bit more risk adverse. But there should always be something on the table that is going to give you a strong, consistent performance. And most people don't know you know, what we're taught or, or what is ingrained in this, you go work for a company, you invest in your 401k, the 401k is all invested in the stock market. Well, guess what? You don't have any control of the stock market. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the one thing that, that I cannot stand. I'm not in the stock market because I've invested that way before. And when I needed the money, the money wasn't there, right? right. Because it was a down cycle. And I've seen so many clients I've worked with lose life savings when it's time for them to retire. 
and the stock market does this nosedive and there's nothing you or I will ever do to know when it's coming. Yeah. They've been talking about the stock market crash for the last five years, right? So here's the thing. You get into something that is a hard asset. Nothing wrong with having some gold and some silver and some platinum or whatever in your in your safe at home. Um, it'll always do well over time. Now, when it comes time to sell it, are you up or down? Most right. likely you're always going to, you know, you, it's about holding it. And that's really kind of like a, a trading system. Like if the whole financial system collapses, but you're sitting on gold and silver in, you know, little tiny increments, bigger, you have something of value where you can go buy groceries or you can go get gas or, you, yeah. can, you know what I mean? But you, you can't do that if all your money is controlled by a stockbroker, financial wealth manager, you know, and there's a lot of those guys out there that they make their money on you. You don't make their money on you. Right. So what I like about real estate is real estate's a hard asset and real estate has outperformed stock market since the two have ever been tracked. Mm-hmm. And it's what makes the most wealthy people in America even more wealthy because they have those hard assets. And that's kind of where we come in. And it's what I've learned. I primarily I'm 100% in some sort of real estate investment asset. What I've res- resolved to do and where I'm at now is being in that land game where the dirt is its just not much you can do to screw it up. It's always <laughs> going to go up in value. Yeah. Right. And you can control it. And so that's what we do. We're the bank. We're basically the mortgage holder to a deal that we know will get sold off, have to get sold off. Uh, maybe construction comes to a complete grinding halt in America, which is highly unlikely. And if it does, we probably have bigger problems. Yeah. But it, we're now invested in an asset that is like gold and silver, essentially, in the real estate world. And there's so much profit margin in it. Even if we have to be competitive and discount our final sales price to beat out other people that may have that stuff, yeah. it's easy for us to do um, because of the scale, right? right? And what's really cool, and I'll just briefly talk on this. You talked about 8 to 12%. Mm-hmm. We've all been hearing that all of our lives. And what's funny is you, you invest with those financial stockbrokers and, and advisors and all that. And Tony Cassay talks about all this. He, he's excellent. He was in that world for mm-hmm. years yeah. with Insider Investor Club. Talk to Tony about what really goes on behind the scenes right. in a stockbroker's pocket, right? Look at the cars they drive and the places they live. <laughs> they yeah, make their exactly. money on you, yeah. right? But uh, so what's cool is the way I pay in the funds is a straight preferred return and if you're in the bigger fund, and it, it's a little complicated, but if you have the ability to invest 50000 or more, I put you in the bigger fund, and the bigger fund can handle more of the land entitlement contracts and deals because sometimes that needs $2 million, $3 million, $5 million, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I have a smaller fund, and the smaller fund is for the person that's non-accredited, uh, maybe doesn't have 50000 only has at least 10000 to invest. And I pay a little bit higher preferred there so we can build their money faster, but it'll do more of the lot contracts, which we get paid a little bit less on. Now, Mm -hmm. granted, that type of fund is the same as fund one. And last year, Rockstar Capital Investors in fund one, Mm -hmm. the smaller type fund, made 16.5% on their investment. Ridiculous. (laughs) They'll be on track for that this year or above. The big fund, the way I have it structured, once it's it, everything's starting to cycle on a regular quarterly basis, then investors should be making 18 to 
per year. And part of that is preferred, which means you're going to get it for sure. Every quarter, you saw that yeah. every quarter distributions go out. We just had profit sharing in the big fund. It was the first one. It mm -hmm. took about 12 months to cycle. And everybody will be on track for probably somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, making uh, about 12 to 13% on their money this year. But next year, we're already building faster and we'll be in that 16, 8 to 17%. Nice. And then I'm actually, in order to simplify everything, which is kind of like news, not everybody knows this yet. Right. I finally talked with the attorney. I'm like, look, I maxed out on non-accredited investors in this fund. I had to start a new fund. And mm -hmm. you know, I says, now I'm getting a lot more non-accredited referrals. Everybody that's investing, like my dad wants to invest. My parents want to invest. My, my right. sister, my brother. And they're like, but they're not accredited. And I'm like, okay, let me open up something again. Customer service, right? Making yeah. sure I always have something for my clients, even if it's something for their friends or family they want to refer. Right. And I'm like, I just can't keep opening funds. It gets too chaotic. And he goes, well, you should have a reg A fund. So we're in the process of working on getting a reg A fund, which means I no longer have any caps on non-accredited investors. Wow. I can market however I want. I can merge all the investors into one fund and have us all on track, which I'm invested in my funds as well. Right. Heavily. And I'll have us all on track for 18 to 20% average annual returns, 10% preferred, 60% profit sharing. Uh -huh. I take very little. I, I charge 1.5% management fees. Mm -hmm. That's it. I don't have yeah. a lot of BS fees. I don't have transaction fees, commissions, and all this right. other crap. If someone has to sell off some of their shares in their fund, I don't charge them anything. They get 100% of the money they invested back. Mm -hmm. They just stop earning on right. that investment. And so we're we're the bank, you know, and if the nicest thing, and, and I know this got a little bit sidetracked, but when you put money in the stock market, you put money in gold, you put money in crypto, you put money in NFTs, and you're all excited because it's a peer, but then all of a sudden, shoom, yeah. It takes this big drop. So guess what? You invest in the Rockstar Capital Investment Funds. We invest in dirt that we know won't go down in value. So your invested dollar mm -hmm. will never go down. Right. <laughs> you know, It won't go up. It's the safest. But you'll make of, money on it year after year after year. Yeah, it's the safest so, kind of investment. Historically, the safest kind of, it, the safest investment. Exactly. Exactly. And we know we're never going to stop building in America. Now, most people don't know this. They see all the mainstream media right now. Mm -hmm. Housing market's going to collapse. Builder confidence is low. Oversupply of inventory. They couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. Mainstream media just cracks me up. So many people watch it and believe these headlines, and they really don't know what's going on. Mainstream media wants to spread fear. Yeah. And that's what gets people. That's what most people are. They don't care if it's misinformation either. Um you know yeah. what you were saying earlier about the transaction fee that that matters because like you you put 50 grand into crypto and then uh it drops or whatever and you need cash you're in a bad spot and you go to pull it out you're losing another one to two percent on these transaction fees in and out i mean these companies yeah. are making so much freaking money just on the the transaction fees alone but you guys yeah. aren't aren't doing that which is which is beautiful you know what i mean and so, uh, well, again, it's, it's about going above and beyond my fund. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I set it up, I went and looked at a lot of other hedge funds, real estate funds, investment funds. I looked at how they were built mm -hmm. and I'm like, I want to be better than every one of those, which I did. And people, uh, it's funny too, because there'll be some guys come to the table that are ready to invest pretty big money and they'll look at it and here's what they'll say. Ah, oh, this just sounds too good to be true. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> 
Like Damn it. You, you did started, it again. <laughs> you started from a place of the customer experience and the relationship. You know, and when you start from that place rather than the place of making money, I, I believe in that. When you start a business, start from a place of the customer experience. And if you're sales-centric like I am, the sales rep experience, right? You start from that place and you refuse to if you refuse to budge on that and you find a way to make money with that, sky's the limit. Now it's just about scaling yeah. it so that you can make some serious money. And, and the beautiful thing about that is, is you get to do it with a clear conscience. You know what I'm saying? There is, yep. there is no, nothing better than making, you know, a couple hundred grand in a year and you know, you did it the right way. Your customers are happy. Your yeah. sales reps are happy. You can't always make everybody happy. There's always going to be issues. But you know that you did the right thing, and you know you did everything within everything possible to make it right if it wasn't right. And so I think when you when you start from that place, it's huge. Um, you know, I I don't normally like straight up pitch anything on the show. You know what I mean? It typically has to do with tactical things to build your sales teams. But I I, I believe in this, you know, because I've been a customer before. I've seen the returns, right? I believe in it and I believe in it for my people too. And it's exciting that I didn't realize how, how low can you go on an initial investment? So my, your the funds point? are app set up now. You can get in with 10,000 minimum. Okay. And it could be IRA. You can take your IRA or your 401k, depending on the situation, mm-hmm. you can have it self-directed and then you can use your IRA money. Um, yeah. Or it could be personal cash. Or if you have a small LLC or an S corp, you mm-hmm. can invest under your entity name and it's 10,000. And yeah. the shares are $1,000 each. So you can do any amount mm-hmm. over that as long as it's an even $1,000 share. And that'll earn right now, the way it's set up is it'll earn 12% annual preferred, meaning you will get 12% mm-hmm. on your money per yeah. year. Unheard of. But I do that so that I can help those people with smaller buckets of funds build faster, mm-hmm. right? And then when we get you to the place where you know, which I'm going to merge everything and that'll improve everything for everybody. Yeah. It'll still be the same. It'll be a 10,000 minimum thousand dollar share. I'm, I'm in a world where most investors are big investors, all accredited. Right. These funds can be a hundred million, 500 million billion dollar funds. I'm just a little guy. I got about $40 million mm-hmm. right now invested with my clients and myself in these entities, but we get better returns than everybody in the industry. And it's because of my general partnerships. They also like rockstar. What do we have to pay in order to, to keep your clients happy and mm-hmm. keep them with us for years to come? Yeah. And they asked me that. And I said, this is what we have to do. And they never budge. They never ask for discounts, even though things get more expensive, especially in the build for rent side. They're like, they don't come back and go, can we lower what we pay? They just know they don't do that because yeah. they know that it's our core group. I call people, it's, it's part of the rockstar family. You know, you don't, you're not just a client. You're not just an investor. You become a friend. You become mm-hmm. like my family of choice. So, and I get to know every single investor that's in my fund. Now there are some new ones that are in our fund that know Vanessa Peters, Dr. Vanessa Peters. She's a right. general partner in okay. my fund. Um, and I, I brought her on cause she's a doctor. She's on the, the West coast and she just has a whole other world of connections I don't have. And then of course I have Jeff Ducharme, which you know, and I brought Jeff in as a general partner because mm-hmm. he, again, has introduced me to Apex and yeah. Insider Investor Jeff's Club. And I've known him for 10 years and he knows a whole other world of investors that I don't. And right. I knew that if we were going to grow, 
scaling meant go finding a couple key partners I could bring in that already had a reputation. Both of them are authors, you know, both of them have uh, started companies and Mm -hmm. raised capital, you know, for other funds in the real estate world. So that was what I did. I, I, we always just bring the right team together to help us accomplish our goals, but with our customers in mind and how do we deliver better than anybody else in the country? So it's funny because I will have people like, uh, just sounds too good to be true. (laughs) They just, they walk. And I'm like, so that's okay. Yeah. I, I don't have to, you don't want to invest, don't invest. They, but I'll they, tell you they typically know someone that does invest, though, and then they, I'm sure, come right back around. So we've got a, a couple <laughs> it more. Happens. Yeah, we've got a couple more minutes here, and I always end every podcast with this question. And uh, the, the, the question is, what does legacy mean to you, and what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? You know, I, it's always a work in progress, for mm-hmm. one. But I'm building a family business now, and which you, you've met Dylan, a.k.a. Kez, yeah. K-E-Z-Z. Look him up on Spotify and Apple Music. And uh, But um, it's about having something that my f- will take care of my family, uh-huh. winter if I'm gone. And about three years ago, I had a heart attack. Right after Christmas, you know, it was January 4th, getting back to work. And it was the Widowmaker, you know, the yeah. 98% blocked LAD, left anterior dissenting. I was just ready to sleep it off. And it was Dylan was actually here. And he's like, Dad, you don't look so good. You know, we got to get to the hospital. Yeah. And uh, he pushed and pushed. I'm like, ah, I feel fine. Yeah, yeah, I feel fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's how I was raised. Put, put some duct tape yeah. on it. You'll be good. Go, some dirt take a nap. <laughs> sleep it off. Yeah. Anyway, ended up in the emergency room like within minutes, uh, getting a stitch shoved up my arm, you know, uh-huh. and, and I felt. I felt a hundred percent better. I was ready to leave the hospital right after the surgery. I'm like, I'm mean, I feel great, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so we get back home. I got to get to work. He goes, no, 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 no. You're going to be here a few days, <laughs> yeah. but legacy means building a company that has one of the best reputations in our industry and in what we do. That's important to me. When, if somebody is going to know the rockstar capital fund group, or become a rock star investor. And isn't that kind of fun to say, Hey, I'm a rock star investor. <laughs> yeah, <know>? it is. <laughs> but so have that, but also have, a, I've been bringing more of my family in. Dylan works for me. My two sister-in-laws work for me. Mm-hmm. I'll most likely be hiring my, uh, my daughter, Ashley here. Yeah. Um, not too soon. We're hitting that point where we're starting to, to five X and 10 X. And, but I want to make sure that I leave something for them. And, and the reason I hire family is I can trust my family. This family I know will treat my clients as well as I treat my clients. And they, they see from example on what we aspire to offer everyone that works with us. And if you go to my website at rockstarcapitalfund.com, mm-hmm. just read some testimonials. Uh, yeah. it, it'll, it'll tell you who we are, right? But legacy to me means building a company that can continue to grow that offers top-notch customer service, pays better than anybody else in our industry of mm-hmm. what we do. And I I want everyone to be able to say, yeah, Rockstar Capital Fund, and I've invested with Rockstar. You know, one of my best investments I've ever had. Yep. One of my most consistent performers I've ever had. Whenever you need them, they answer their call. Mm-hmm. They answer their text. They answer their email, you know, same day. That's what I want. And so the day I die and I'm laying there, I, I hope that I have a hundred thousand people at my funeral, you know, yeah. 
And I hope they're all rockstar customers and rockstar investors, you know, and I just had some clients pop in the other day. Hey, we're, we're driving through. Is it okay? Stop and see. I know you're busy. I'm like, good. Yes. You give me a reason to walk away from my, my computer for a little bit. <laughs> Thank you, Mitch and Sandra, you know, and they pop in and I stopped what I'm doing. Not that I didn't have 50 tasks that I was right in the middle of, Yeah. but you know what? They can wait. My customers drove through town yeah. and they were headed up to Kansas city. And I'm like, boom, stop what we're doing. Come over to my house. Let's hang out. Let's chat. That's awesome. And, uh, that's important to me. And we'll probably hit a point where we don't need to raise more capital mm -hmm. and which would be fine. Um, I think once we've reached that, we've reached the pinnacle of success. Right. We don't need to raise new capital, but I will never turn away any of my clients or any of their referrals. So if I have to keep something open and operating, yeah. which is part of why I'm doing the Reg A fund, it's there for them. But you'll probably see me at less events. You'll probably see you know uh, me do more of people come to me, right? Yeah. Like, okay, let's have a Zoom call with, you know, all the right. rockstar clients. Yeah, they're um, strong referrals. Finally, it's just a matter of walking yeah. them through the onboarding process, stuff like that. I can finally buy a place in Aruba. And when I don't like the weather here, <laughs> we will Aruba. be there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm telling you, I've traveled all over the Caribbean. My wife and I absolutely love Aruba. It's our uh -huh. favorite location. It's called One Happy Island for a reason. Hardly any politics, mm -hmm. always something to do. Great weather, great beaches below the hurricane belt, by nice. the way. Nice. If you have not been, make yourself, well, hold on. Let me take that back because we don't want Aruba to turn into like a Cancun. Never mind. <laughs> Everybody ignore, ignore what I Aruba. Said about Aruba. <laughs> but if you need <laughs> me, I'll be there. Curacao or Bonaire. <laughs> so, Brandon Rooks, building a rock star legacy with a side of Aruba is what I'm hearing. <laughs> White sand, baby. 85 I degrees. It. I love it, brother. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, if you want to get a hold of Brandon, his info will be in the show notes. Uh, Brandon Rooks on any of his social media or reach out to me directly and I can get you connected. Uh, appreciate you coming on the show. And whether it's building relationships, uh, building our investments, or building our sales teams, let's get building. Doug, I appreciate you and I'll see you soon, buddy. Sounds good. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. We appreciate it. Make sure you like, share, and leave a review wherever you consume podcasts and subscribe so you're notified when we release new content. Great sales teams aren't recruited. They are built brick by brick. Let's get building.